Hello, and welcome to The Real, the podcast for culture and entertainment media. I'm your host, Mark Olson. On today's episode... These next few weeks, we're taking a break from our usual format to help guide listeners who may be staying home more often than usual. If you're wondering what to watch, what's worth streaming now, what you can watch with your kids who are home from school, we've got you covered. As you all know, updates around the coronavirus are developing rapidly. Just this week, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti announced an emergency action to close bars, nightclubs, dine-in restaurants, entertainment venues, gyms, and movie theaters here in LA in an attempt to slow the spread of the virus. Many movies that were going to be coming out soon are now undated, and production on many new projects have shut down. I recently wrote about what closing down movie theaters means for local independent venues. And my colleague Ryan Fonder took a look at the impact of the decision by Universal Pictures and some other distributors to release some of their current movies to home viewing platforms much earlier than usual, which could be a real turning point in how Hollywood does business moving forward. So in today's episode, I'm going to call up some of my entertainment colleagues to discuss what they think is worth watching while you're at home. And of course, because of coronavirus, we're all self-isolating at home, so some of the audio quality may suffer, there may be the odd pet in the background, but we know you'll understand, and thank you for listening. Later, we'll be talking to TV critic Lorraine Alley about what she's watching this week, but first, here's film reporter Jen Yamato to help us compartmentalize our anxieties with some horror movie recommendations. You've already watched Contagion. What's next? Jen, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to speak with you. I am actually podcasting from my house with my cat in my lap. That seems like the way to do it. Why have you not been doing it that way all along? Exactly. We're also on Skype for those who are at home, which means that I've convinced Mark to turn on his video function. And I love this way of working, I have to say. Jen, I know you've been hitting up some of the streaming sites looking for movies to, to recommend to people. And one of those sites, Shudder, has a, sort of a great deal for new people who are, you know, signing up for the first time. And actually, a lot of sites have been doing that, right? That's right. If you look on our LA Times website, there's a fantastic article that will give you tips on which streaming platforms currently have, you know, 14-day trials or 30-day free trials right now to get you through at least the next month watching all sorts of film and TV content, including Sundance Now, which has a 30-day free trial where you can watch a lot of great indie films with the promo code Sundance Now 30. You got Crunchyroll for your anime needs. You can watch some HBO programs on their website, I believe. And Shudder, as you mentioned, is my favorite source for horror movies and genre fare. And it has such a fantastic array of of stories in many forms, in many subgenres, for our horror lovers out there. And uh, I know one of the things that I think is going to be exciting for people during this time is like, well, you're kind of like digging deeper into your screening list or things you've been wanting to see or maybe haven't gotten to for a while. You know, I know myself, I'm really looking forward to, there's a George Romero film from the early 70s called The Crazies that's about a biological weapon that gets deployed against a small town. And so I'm, I'm kind of planning on watching that as like my substitute for Contagion. Like instead of watching Contagion, I'm looking forward to watching The Crazies. So for you, what are some other movies that maybe you'd, you'd recommend to people who either have already watched Contagion Want to hit some other sort of like similar, you know, current end times horror movies. That's right. 
Well, here's the thing I have to say, first of all, there's so many things right now that will and are exacerbating our anxieties over the real world. And I've heard so many people in the last week say that they watched Contagion and it was a huge mistake for them because it only made their anxieties skyrocket. So I think, you know, in these times, you're going to want to watch pretty much anything that you can that is good which is one of the best parts about having so much content available at home right now. So Contagion, yes, I think you can rent it on Amazon. Do that at your own peril, I will say. But if you're looking for horror movies, or scary stories or genre fare that is a little bit outside of our, our actual world right now, a little bit more distant from our reality. I have a couple of recommendations, very different kinds of movies, starting with this great Korean movie called Train to Busan, which now I'm realizing is a little bit like Contagion in a way in that it's a zombie movie about a massive outbreak, but of zombieism, you know, that happens and and we follow a bunch of travelers who are stuck on a train during this time as they try to get to their families and like it's actually a really deeply humanistic look at a emotional experience of going through a zombie outbreak if that doesn't sound like a weird thing to say you know but it's such a fantastic movie and you can watch it now on shutter you can also pair it with an animated prequel to the story called soul station that sounds great jen what's what's uh what's another movie that you've got for us well, there's another film that is also on Shutter called Tigers Are Not Afraid. And it's from this Mexican filmmaker named Isa Lopez. It's a dark fairy tale with child heroes. There's magical realism. It's a really great discovery to make if you haven't seen it yet. And it was floating around the festival circuit for the last few years before being made available. So that's one that I would highly recommend. Now, if you need a slightly different sort of change of pace, I think you should check out this weirdo camp cult title called Tammy and the T-Rex, which is also on Shudder now. It was sort of rediscovered, excavated from the vaults uh, in the last year by cult film fanatics. It's a movie starring Denise Richards and Paul Walker. I think you just have to see it. I think it's the kind of movie that you put on right now and you can sort of, you know, forget about all the really crazy, strange, scary things happening in our actual lives right now and dive into a kooky headspace. That's one of the, I think, the gifts of, of movies right now. I think that really says something. We're extreme we are right now that like you can watch a horror movie to chill out. That's right. And I mean, on that note, I was going to also include in this list. <laughs> I mean, technically, we're talking about horror movies that you can stream right now. But as it happens, you can now also stream the movie Cats, a, a different kind of horror movie. Honestly, like when when I saw it last year, I was like, what is this movie? It's the big screen adaptation of the musical that everybody's parents in like New York took them to in the 80s because it was like a family friendly, weird, bizarro musical. It's the, the musical where the song Memory comes from. And I don't know, like, how do you describe the the effect that Cats had on you, Mark? I mean, the at some point, the movie becomes psychedelic. That it, it, it's sort of like it's, it's so committed to itself 
that it really does create this other world. And once you as a viewer sort of sync up to it and you get into its headspace, it's just the strangest thing. It's like you've been sprinkled with Taylor Swift's magical catnip. That's right. And and recently this week, Seth Rogen tweeted that he was about to watch it. And his live tweeting of Cats alone is like the best endorsement for watching Cats in these times. Because when the world turns upside down so fast, a movie like Cats can come along and break your brain in the most wonderful ways for like an hour and 50 minutes and give you such a, a respite from thinking about literally anything else because you're you're spending the whole time thinking about how did this movie happen? What is happening? What do these cats want? Why are they so small? What is a jellical? Who is a jellical choice? And so now, uh, before I let you go, Jen, hit me with one more proper horror movie. Okay, one last recent horror gem that I would recommend is also on Shudder. It's this super indie Metal sleaze opus called Bliss that was made by a filmmaker named Joe Bigas, L.A. filmmaker, shot right here in Los Angeles on 16 millimeter, starring this actress Dora Madison as a brilliant painter who's feeding her creative block with a big painting due with sex, drugs and a side of vampirism. And this is a, a really fun movie. It's the kind of movie that reminds you that the spirit of indie horror is alive and well and will keep making crazy stories with imagination and elbow grease and buckets of fake blood. So that's one that I would highly recommend. But also like Shudder has this fantastic documentary called Horror Noir about the history of African-Americans in horror and a podcast from Elijah Wood and his producing partner, Daniel Noah, called Visitations that takes you into the homes of your favorite genre filmmakers, which is actually a really great idea right now because none of us can go into anybody else's homes because we're all self-quarantining, right? We're all self-isolating. That means no gatherings. That means no movie nights with all of your friends coming over. Wash your hands. Be safe. Jen, those are all some really great suggestions. But before I let you go, I want to be sure that we tell our audience about your own brand new podcast that just launched this week, Asian Enough. What what can you tell people about the podcast? It's really exciting for me because it's a podcast I've been working on for a while with another LA Times journalist, this Metro columnist named Frank Shong. And it's our way of trying to create conversations around Asian American identity and experience. So every episode, we bring in a different special guest from film or the arts or food, literature, all over the map. Different celebrities come in and share their stories, their experiences, their thoughts and their feelings. And and we find a lot of common ground. So it, it's been a really wonderful project to work on. It is out right now. Our first two episodes are available. The first one is with John Cho, the actor. And the second one is with Lulu Wong, the wonderful director of The Farewell. So I hope everybody gives it a listen. Well, I know how long you've been working on this, Jen, and I've been really excited by the episodes that I've gotten to hear so far. And uh, new episodes come out every Tuesday. That's right. Now moving on, I want to call up my colleague, TV critic Lorraine Alley. Lorraine, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, great. Oh, hi. We'll get started. I want to talk with you today about the new season of Westworld. You reviewed the show for the paper. and Now, now how many episodes of the new season did you actually get to watch before writing your review? 
I went four episodes into it. And I knew from the very beginning, you know, and even from the trailers that are kind of the teasers before it, that we weren't going to be seeing the same Westworld that we left, you know, back in the old West, we're going to futuristic LA, but it does change throughout the new season, the setting. I don't want to give too much away, but it is a very different place than, than we last left when the robots were massacring their human uh, guests. It's wild to think that the series has been off the air now for almost two years. Yeah, two years it's been gone. And, you know, it's such a complex kind of mind-bending series. Some people, it really irks them. Others, they kind of love all the riddles in it. But it takes a lot to put that series together. Just technically what it looks like, because, you know, the premise of it is these robots essentially are at this point going to take over humankind and it's hard to tell who are the robots and who are the humans but while you're watching it there's just a lot of you know recreating these simulated worlds wires and and machinery and all that kind of stuff and technology that kind of stuff just purely what it looks like, that technical thing in putting the show together takes a lot. But then also you have these really complicated plot lines. So, yeah, I'm assuming it was a it was a jam-packed two years of working on this <laughs> because it's not an easy show. The second season of the show, as I understand it, a lot of people kind of gave up on the show, that they felt like it had gotten too convoluted. They didn't like some of the story changes from what they liked about the first season. And so for people who maybe watched the first season and kind of gave up on it in the second season, do you think it's worth giving it a new try for this third season? For people that were really into the first season for, you know, its recreation of the Wild West and then pitting, you know, technology against romantic idea of the old west i'm not so sure they're going to be wanting to try and delve into futuristic los angeles for season three but at the end of the premiere episode for season three they flicked at this new world which is also a recreation of the past and it looks like nazi era Europe. It looks like they're in Italy. Um, And of course, it's got to be like one of the most sadistic chapters, horrible, violent chapters (laughs) in humankind, right? I mean, so of course, they have to revisit it. But it did look like they're going back into another era or recreating it. So in other words, we're not just outside the theme park, we're back in it too. And what that's going to bring You know, I don't want to spoil anything, but that might be enough to bring some of the people back that liked season one. But if you were purely in it for like the sort of cowboy lore and the shoot ups and that kind of stuff, no, season three is not going to do it for you. But in your review of the new season, I was so taken with how you highlighted the sort of the tension that I think the the new season really builds on between traditionalism of the Old West version that we got in season one and then this sleeker, futuristic Los Angeles that they're they're doing with season three. I think it's, it's to me, it's really exciting to see these sort of two visions of the West and how they sort of interrelate. Right. I mean, it's the the very new, new West, the future West and the old West. Right. And, you know, at first when I was watching it, I thought I really don't want to see kind of like big data and highly technological robots moving through this really futuristic, sleek world. But then the more I kind of looked at it with the shoot 'em ups that were happening around future MacArthur Park or, you know, they're in downtown L.A., 
and it was kind of interesting. It was like, oh, wait a minute. This is another kind of lawless West. It's just on a different timeline. And as we know, Westworld is all about these weird shifting timelines. So that was kind of interesting. But I have to admit, at first I was like, I don't know if I want to see this. I want the player piano. I want those things I liked before. But then there was something about it, you know, that drew you into this too. And also the paranoia of technology versus us as living, breathing humans. Like, what's going to win here? Is it going to, is it going to make us better or destroy us? So that theme is really strong. Also in your review, you explored this idea that the confusion that a lot of people feel when they watch the show, that as you said, that's a feature, not a bug. Like it's set up to be that way. Can you talk a bit more about that? I think, I mean, I think for a lot of people, they don't watch television to get confused. And so it's, it is something that's hard for, for some people to get their heads around. Well, if you think about it, you know, with Westworld, the confusion is part of the game. It's a maze, right? The whole idea is, you know, these characters, whether they are the hosts, which are the robots, or the guests, which are the humans that were going to this theme park, you know, the whole idea is them kind of, you know, making their way through this maze. And all of them at some point get very confused about, what is going on? Is this reality? Is this part of the game? What timeline am I in? All of those things. And as they're getting confused, it was getting like more and more confusing for viewers. Now, normally it would be like, yeah, that's kind of off-putting, but Westworld had at least for most, for all of season one and some of season two had been able to kind of really pull people in. Like, are you smart enough to figure this out? It was almost like a challenge, right? Can you figure this out? And it was definitely a good sort of distraction from like real life confusion that we all deal with outside. But I find it really funny that, you know, when you talk to people about Westworld, and they're like, oh, it's so confusing. You don't know what's real and what's fake. And I really don't want to deal with that. And I'm thinking, but you go on Twitter and social media all the time. And you dive into all this crazy conspiracy theory stuff and, you know, what's real and what's fake. And you love that. So, like, why wouldn't people be looking for that? in their entertainment as well. And they do, because there's plenty of people who've, you know, stuck with Westworld and they're they're really dug in. And it's kind of like a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to figure this out. And I feel like anything people are watching right now, as in like really like right now, right now, you really want to have some connection to what's going on in the outside world. It's so hard for any of us to sort of unplug from the news and current events and everything that's going on. For you, does Westworld have some connection to our modern day? Like, what is the show saying to us about right now? What the show says to us about the right now, about where we are presently, particularly this season, they're looking at algorithms and big data. In other words, you think you have free will, you think your next plan is unmoved, yet all these companies that have been amassing big data on you they almost know what your next move is going to be because from everything they've mined, from all of your accounts, from all your movements online, from what you've done computerized, you know, whether it's using your card or in the show computerized cars, whatever it is, they know what you're going to do next. So in other words, you are now being controlled by the data that you willingly or unwillingly gave them in the past. And I would say that's pretty timely and topical. But do you feel like the show... They're aware of that? Are they trying to push it in that direction as far as being, you know, some kind of an allegory about big data? What within the world of the show 
is all that so those algorithms that information what is that all about i think they are speaking to the moment i think it's a conscious effort to you know try and capture kind of what people are paranoid about right now like how much am i being spied on am i whatever it is is alexa listening to me whatever it is i think they are touching on that but i i think they can't clearly tell you where westworld is is heading with this because you know it wouldn't be westworld if i could clearly tell you where it's headed but it looks like the idea is going to be do you want to be the controller or do you want to be controlled and in your effort to control everything humans in your effort to you know be superior and have technology be your slave and do everything for you you've become a slave to that very technology which direction do you want to head in and I think that touches on, sort of connects with something else that I've always found compelling about the show, which is at times you can be a little confused or there can be some slippage as far as who's kind of a hero and who's a villain. I think sometimes, you know, some of the characters, their motivations are hard to parse and especially like where things are heading is always a little bit, you know, out of reach of viewers. The performances in in the show, Evan Rachel Wood, Thandie Newton, Tessa Thompson, also from Jeffrey Wright and uh, Ed Harris. I mean, these are some just, I find very exciting, compelling, really meaty performances. What do you kind of make of the some of those actors on the show? They're fantastic. I mean, the, the minute season three came back and Dolores walks on, Evan Rachel Wood, boom, you know, she was, she started out as this victim. She's become really, well, we don't know. Is she the hero? Is she the villain? She's kind of both. And she plays it and she embodies all of that. She's fantastic. And then, you know, it's not to the very end of the this first episode that you see Danny Newton come back on as Maeve and you realize how much you've missed her because it's a split. It's a very short scene, but she just owns it. She just sort of brings down that kind of complicated, high thinking, strategizing, like, what am I going to do next to, you know, win whatever this new war is? So all those performers are pretty fantastic. And now they're throwing Aaron Paul in the mix and he plays, as far as I can tell, a human but, you know, we never know with Westworld. And uh, but the funny part is, is that here he is in Westworld and he's also playing kind of like a, a low achieving slacker. And I just thought, wow, <laughs> that that kind of arc from Breaking Bad to uh, to Westworld. But he's an underachiever. Let's put it that way, who kind of turns to a sub-legal form of uh, getting by. And that's kind of what he does in Westworld. So there's there's parallels to other characters he's played in the past, but it's going to be interesting to see how his character kind of mingles with the other ones as they come together. And also Bernard Lowe is in that, which, who's Jeffrey Wright, and we do see him come back early on. Some of the other characters, we don't know if they're going to come back yet or not. And that's another Westworld thing to do. I know. Do you think you're going to stick with this season? Like, are you excited to see where this goes after the handful of episodes that you've already seen? I am excited about it. I was frustrated about midway through season two because I was a big Westworld fan and it was starting to get really confusing. I did get frustrated. I was a little disappointed when I began watching season three and I thought, oh, I want to go backwards. And But they do some interesting things moving forward that got me excited about it again. I don't want to give anything away, but 
I would say just stick in there. And then, you know, who knows? I mean, I may be losing cortical fluid and, you know, my, my hard drive may be frying by episode five. We'll see. But right now I'm in. I'm in. I'm back online. So many people right now spending so much time stuck in their homes. And so people, I think, are really, they're digging deep into their streaming platforms and, you know, what's available online to watch. Do you have any sort of like secret recommendations when people have like burned through everything the algorithm recommends most handily to someone? Is there anything that you're excited to watch that you've been recommending to people? See, we're back to the algorithm, Mark. Westworld knew it. They knew it. I would say if you burn through, I mean, you know, I was just thinking about like, okay, if you want to think about human behavior right now, why don't you go back and watch Survivor, just like go through all 5 billion seasons of Survivor, then you could move on to maybe Hoarders. It just seems very timely right now. And then eventually, since we're all like kind of self-sequestered right now, we may need the biggest loser moving forward to sort of guide us from whatever we're doing, it's couch potatoes sitting here eating all the food we've hoarded. So just as sort of comic relief on on terrible human behavior, those would be good. Something like that's really good, of course, like going back to The Wire or something. One of those shows that, God, I never got around to it. It's really complex. I need time. The Wire's the show. I mean, if, if you haven't done that yet, that HBO series is phenomenal. You know, people say, I'm going to run out of stuff to watch. It's like, oh, really? No, you're uh, not. No, you're not. <laughs> Uh, well, terrific. Well, thank you for uh, taking some time to uh, join us today. I'm sure we're going to be talking again soon. Lorraine, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I hope I, I hope we see each other face to face sometime soon. <laughs> That's it for this week's show. Thanks to our producer, Paige Heimson, and our audio engineer, Mike Heflin. Subscribe to The Real on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review. You can also visit us at latimes.com forward slash the real.